0: be looking at Psalm 73. We have been doing a series where we look at different Psalms to see how God's people in the Old Testament gave, gave words to their prayers. How did they pray before God? And um, this Psalm is a little different in that it tells a story. So even though it's rather long, I'm going to start off by reading the, the whole psalm whole and invite you to follow along as I do it. I'm pretty sure this is the NIV version. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me in your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. At my previous church, I had um, a neighbor... To the church named Terry, who I became good friends with. He would pop over while I was at the office and we'd talk and get to know each other. And we were in a downtown area, and so there was a he he lived in an apartment across the street, and we knew there were lots of people that lived around the church, but none of them came to to worship. And so Terry was a believer, He, he loved the Lord, he was excited about Jesus. He is actually a Pentecostal, but he, he would come visit with us on Sundays sometimes. Um, and when he did, he gave me "Amen, Pastor." So he was the, he was the only one. There you go, Phil. But um, but we came up with a plan. It was mostly Terry. He 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 said, "How can we reach the people in this neighborhood who seem to have no interest in church?" What could we do? And, and he said, coming into the building in and of itself is intimidating. It was an older thing. he had steps up to the sanctuary. He says, what if we did something outside? We had a beautiful little courtyard um, in the midst of, you know, kind of an urban downtown. And so our plan was we, we set up a, we did hamburgers in the courtyard and a courtyard Bible study discussion time. And so Terry did the grilling. I bought the stuff. He spread the word among all the neighborhood, and it worked for a while. So for a couple weeks, we had these great meetings, and we set up um, lawn chairs, a little bit like we have here, camp chairs, and we sat in a circle and talked. And I was encouraging these people, most of whom had no church background, or they had a church background but they didn't, they weren't going to church currently. Um, you know, I was encouraging them to get to know God. And in the midst of that, one woman asked a question, and she'd shared a little bit about her story and the things she'd faced. And she asked me a question no one had ever asked me before. And I think it's a question a church person wouldn't ask. And it was this. What if you want to get to know God, but you're so angry at him, you just feel like you can't talk to him? How do you get past the anger in your heart towards God? took me a second, um, but I, I thought about i had happened to be reading some of the Psalms, and so the answer I gave her is, well, yeah, I, that's a tough one, but I notice in the Old Testament, the Psalms, there are a lot of people who are frustrated or angry with God, and in God's holy word, he includes the prayers of people who are struggling. Who, who are upset who are frustrated and even angry and so I encouraged her to read through the psalms and maybe find the ones that resonated with her the ones that that resonated with her same feelings I find it amazing that God in his his word includes these prayers that are not nice and clean so there there are some of praises and you know, sing and clap your hands, oh, you peoples, and those are great. We're, I'll actually do one of those before we end the series. I know all of them have been kind of on the downside, but um, but but also these prayers of people who are hurting and saying, "Why, God? Why?" And I think it tells us that we can bring our true feelings to God. He wants His people to pray honestly, even if it's not. Psalm seventy-three addresses a question: How do we pray when we are struggling with questions and doubts? How do we pray when we're feeling like things aren't, when there's something, a problem in our heart between us and God? It was written by Asaph. A lot of our psalms so far have been David. Asaph, um, he was a worship leader. He was a musician. Um, who served in the time of King David. So this one's aimed at Sandy. So I'm talking to her today. Um, His place of worship at that time, in the time of David, was the tabernacle, a tent of worship. That was where, and so he would have been there serving as the musician. Now, as we go through, there's one particular line out of the psalm that hooked me. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I wonder if you can guess it. But one line that spoke to me in my situation, and I'll tell you when we get there. But let's let's start, and it starts with praise. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Yes, we need to affirm God is good. In fact, I would tell you God is so much better than we imagine him to be. And I want you to know that. But there's a question that hits me in this. Is he only good to the pure in heart? What about those of us who aren't so pure in heart all the time? Well, something speaks to this. Do you know what the word Israel means in Hebrew? It's the name for the people of God, the Jewish people of the Old Testament. But where did they get that name? Well, the people of Israel are the descendants of Abraham, and Abraham's grandson was named Jacob, and and so Jacob struggled with God, and at one point, Jacob has a an encounter in the middle of the night with a mysterious stranger, and it says they wrestle all night long. It is an odd passage. I, I don't totally understand all of it. But, but at the end of the night, um, after the wrestling match is over, the, st- the stranger speaks, and he says, I am giving you a new name. You are now to be called Israel, which in Hebrew means one who wrestles with God. And that's how Jacob learns who he was wrestling with. One who wrestles with. Or struggles with God. And that became the name of God's people in the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? To be a part of God's people means you are one who wrestles with God. It's not that it's divided into the pure in heart who are God's people. And the not so pure in heart, you know, those other bad people. No, to be a part of God's people are those who struggle with God. Those who ignore God and walk away from him, that's thats different. But we are the those, we who follow Jesus, are those who still at times struggle with God, and yet we are included in his people. That's good news. Verse 2, then it digs into where the psalm is going. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. This is not going to be a standard psalm of praise. This is a confessional psalm. Asaph is owning up to a struggle in his own heart, and that struggle is envy. The next verse says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So as as Asaph looked out on a society, it seemed like the, the, the wicked people, uh, we're doing just fine, and I, I would encourage you not to think of wicked as like the really bad people, the, the serial killers, or whatever. It's it's those who ignore God and live for themselves. That that would be the Bible definition. It says for those people who live for themselves, they seem to be prospering and doing just fine, and so he envies those people for their. For their situation, what's interesting is envy's not a sin we easily confess. I, I saw written this this line it says we are likely to confess to any other sin or emotion before confessing to envy. Still deciding whether I believe that's true or not, but I think there's something to that. I, I don't hear a lot of people confessing envy. And in verses four to twelve, Asaph then describes who he means. And he just gives a list of, of qualities that, that, that he's, of who he's talking about. And so I'll just go through some of them quickly. It says, they are those who have no struggles. They're healthy and physically strong and attractive. They are the beautiful people. They're free from pain and burdens. It says, they are not plagued by human ills. It's those who just seem to have no problems, right? Pride is their necklace. They're confident. They walk into the room and they take control. Violence is their clothes. They're not afraid to use force to get what they want. They have calloused hearts. There's no limits on conceiving evil. They're not bound by any rules. They they do as they see fit. They scoff and speak with malice. They use arrogance and threats to get their way. It, says, it talks about boasting. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and bragging. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Do You know those who boast and brag and talk about how great they are and all that they can do. And it also talks about how they're admired, that people turn to them. And that even in they drink in the abundance of all they have. When I remember reading this really for the first time, an image came to mind, and that is the red carpet at a at one of those award ceremonies, right? When the celebrities show up, and they're all in the fancy dresses, and everyone's and the men are in tuxedos, or they all look good, they're... And that everyone's taking pictures, and everything looks looks awesome in their life. Um, they're getting out of limos. They're rich, famous, beautiful. They have amazing houses, fancy dresses. They get to travel to exotic places, um, and they have these great award ceremonies where they give themselves awards. Right? Uh, let's see how many we can name. I, I, I'll start. We have the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys. The Tonys. The Golden Globes. Any more? I think the Christians have them, too. We have the Dove Awards, right? Yeah? You know, I, I know there's more. You know, the, the MTV Youth Awards. Youth awards like, that. yeah. Um, and there's just an endless number of, of you know, because what, what do they need most is to give each other more awards. And... Uh, and isn't it, you look at them and think, oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you want to be that person that, that gets to go to France or wherever to see all this? Um, or maybe you don't envy them, but you envy the neighbor who has a really nice house. Or the guy at work who got the promotion for the position. Or maybe the pastor who got the book deal. You know? And here's how he describes these people look at God. It says, they say, how will God know? Does the Most High know anything? It's like, they don't see God as actually knowing. Or, it doesn't matter. You know, no matter what you do, God never intervenes. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's just God is irrelevant to their life says this is what the wicked are like always free of care they go on amassing wealth they don't think about others they 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 just do what they want to do and give no thought to their life and who they might have to answer to one day and there's that temptation within us to say wouldn't it be great to have all that to no cares the perfect house to travel the world to have great adventures that's where Asaph is at verse 13 he tells you what he's thinking he says surely in vain i have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence all day long i have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments he thinks about all that he's done to try to stay faithful to the lord all that he's done to to follow god and do what's right all the time reading god's word and studying it and trying to put it into practice and He says, surely in vain have I done all that. My life doesn't look as good as those who ignore God. You know, the arrogant and prideful, they don't worry about none of this stuff. And yet their life seems fine. Each day I have new problems. I wake up and there's more. If God is really there, why doesn't he bless me as much as them? His envy has put a barrier The Lord says, do not covet, which is pretty much the same as envy. Not just because it's a sin. Not just because it makes us unhappy, and it does. Because it puts a block between us and God. Because we, it leads us being angry at God for not blessing us more. His envy put a barrier between him and God. And Asaph is questioning it, whether his devotion to God is worth it. All that he's done. I've showed up every Sunday morning. I've never missed. Is it worth it? His mind is filled with doubt, and his heart is stuck in the mud and mire. Here's the line. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Or in another version, if I had spoken thus, if I said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. So up to verse 14, he's describing where he's at. And in verse 15, then he looks and thinks about it for a second. And this is the line that jumped out to me as a pastor. Remember, Asaph is a religious professional. So um, he's been appointed the worship leader in the tabernacle. So let me pick on Samuel. Suppose one Sunday Sandy comes in and she's in an Asaph kind of mood, right? And she's doubting, oh, this is all worth it. And she comes up here and says, you know, I'm not sure really God is worth it, but I've been paid to sing these songs, so we're gonna, we're going to go ahead and go through with it, right? If she would have spoken out about her true feelings in the midst of this doubt, what would that have done? It would have betrayed the children of God. Children of Israel, your children, it would um, it would cause them to doubt and wonder. It would lead them away from God, not towards Him. But what do you do when you're supposed to be leading and teaching others to put their faith in God and obey His room, but but and obey His ways? But you're sitting in a room thinking about how great the wicked habit, you know, and those who don't have to bother with God. And you're wondering, are you a fool for having gone into ministry? Should I have gotten a real job and never become a pastor? I'm glad I've never had those thoughts. But I've heard other pastors have. Asaph realizes in his time of despair and lack of faith that if he would have spoken out, it would have led others away from God. That would be a betrayal. But what is he to do? Right? Should he then just stuff it? Pretend? Put up a front and pretend to believe? Put a brave face, deny his inner doubts, and talk about how we can praise God no matter what. That's why he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Right? I'm stuck. What can I do? What does he do? Till I entered your sanctuary, the sanctuary of God, then I understood. He's deeply troubled can't understand it all but he comes to God comes to the place of God he brings all his his self his fears his doubts his struggles and he shows up I know some Sunday mornings that's all we can do is show up I understand and when he does God gives him understanding God speaks to his heart and opens his eyes, and this is what he sees. Now he sees the wicked, those who have turned from God. It says, surely you place them on slippery slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Those who look so good outwardly, whether it's the celebrity or maybe your neighbor, are actually on slippery ground. It may look good now, but they're on the edge of destruction. When I was a kid, we went to Disney World pretty often. um, And my favorite ride was the Haunted Mansion. Has anyone else been on the Haunted Mansion? A few of you? So before you get on the ride proper, they bring you into a little anteroom and you're in a room crowded with people i'm sure now at disney world they're more socially distanced but but you're kind of, and it, it's kind of the prep for getting on the ride and in the room there are portraits on each wall four portraits and each one has someone who's like from the 1800s it's a painting and they they are you could tell like they're wealthy upper class and one of them is a prim and proper woman with an umbrella, one is the, is a businessman, one's an older woman who looks, you know, very fancily dressed, and one is a man in a tuxedo, and and so you see them and you know in the thing, but somehow they have it set that the, the room changes and it's like the panels are coming down, and so at first all you see is them, and then you see their situation. So the woman with the uh, the prim and proper with the umbrella is actually on a tightrope with an alligator right underneath her. And the businessman is... This is my favorite. He's sitting on the shoulders of two other men who are sinking down into quicksand. And uh, the the third one, the older woman, is actually sitting on the headstone of her deceased husband. And, uh, and, and it looks like he'd been dealt with, you know, with an axe. And then the man in tuxedo is actually sitting on a barrel of dynamite. And um, in other words... They all look good, but when you understand their situation, it's not so good, right? That is what, that's the vision that Asaph has. Think about the celebrities you know. Um, Has life always gone well for them? Why do so many get into drugs and alcoholism? Why do so many, sadly, take their own lives? Think about the child stars who have this great success as a kid in a movie or something. How many of them have turned out to have a good life? What might we not know about those who seem to prosper? They may be overloaded with debt. They may have broken relationships. Maybe dysfunction in their family. There may be hidden abuse. could be that they they cover over their pain. With their, their behaviors. Could be they're dealing with overwork and stress, or insecurity and anxieties. They're, they're afraid all the time. They could be facing addictions, or they just may be plain unhappy. Asaph, after thinking about it, gives. He looks back on his own envy and doubts, and then he diagnoses himself. Back to verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. Notice how envy led him to be bitter. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, he was only seeing things from the human beastly perspective. The animal perspective versus a spiritual perspective. But then he says, I love this line, yet I am always with you. You hold me by the hand." That is an amazing verse. Through all his struggles, God did not let him go. God held him fast. He says, you hold me by your right hand. The picture I have is of a father and child crossing a, a busy, busy traffic, a busy road. And the child may, you know, the father will tell the child, hold on to my hand, right? But does that matter? Well, it does a little. But that father is going to be holding on to their child's hand and will not let go. It doesn't matter if the child's hand slips off. The father is going to make sure that their child gets safely across the street. Our emotions, even our emotions toward God can go up and down. Doubt can be a feeling, an emotion, not just an intellectual exercise. And it can get a hold of us at times. one of my favorite hymns and, and someday I know we'll we'll pull it out I, I had a I had a video to show you if we were indoors but it didn't work today um, but it's called um, here's the verse prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the one I love here's my heart o oh, take and seal it seal it for thy courts above our God seals us. We, we give him our heart and he holds on to us even as we face the difficulties of this life and at times are plagued with struggles and doubts, at times when we wrestle with God. And by the end, Asaph's doubt and despair has turned to praise. He says, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. No matter what happens in this life, I'm with you in the end, Lord Jesus, even if it's up in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our salvation does not depend on how, how strong we hold on, because his strength is what matters. Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to me. My, flark, my heart and my flesh may fail, and at times it will, but our salvation ultimately does not depend on us. God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. The final summary comes in 27, 28. It says, those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Those who ignore God, they will not prosper in the end. there will come a day of rest. God would have none of, no one go that direction. But, but those who choose to turn away from him and ignore him, they will perish. We each have to make the choice to make the decision to entrust our lives to Jesus the Savior. We have to say what he says. But as for me, but as for me, I will put my faith in the, the Son of God who came to set me free. I will put my faith on the one who came and gave his life on the cross to to bring salvation to me and my life. But as for me, it is good to be near God. If all God promised you was you will have my presence with you forever, no other promises about your life, would he still be worth it? But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Notice how at the end, instead of speaking about his doubts and lack of faith, he ends by praising God. He's going to tell all, everyone of God's goodness and love and grace. I would suggest that our faith in Christ is strengthened when we face our doubts head on. When instead of stuffing them down, putting on a happy face when we bring those doubts to the Lord. And maybe you have to talk to a fellow believer. Um, Maybe you don't come on Sunday morning and and speak them through the microphone, but maybe you have to to get with someone, a brother or sister in Christ, who can help you work through those struggles. But I would suggest we come out on the other side stronger when we're honest with God, about our doubts and struggles. I want you to know that no matter what you're facing, you can talk to him. You can you can bring to your father what you're really facing, and he will speak into your life. He will lead you again. He will claim as his people those who wrestle with God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that even as we struggle through life and at times we wonder, is it worth it? Lord, you don't take offense. You call us your sons and daughters. You you grab us back to yourself. You, You renew us and lead us again. Lord, I thank you that it's not dependent on me or how good I can do it, but you are my strength. And my portion forever. Amen. I one reason why I like to include the Lord's Prayer in the service is sometimes I don't have words for what I want to pray. And I think the Lord gave us words to, to talk to our Father. And so I'd encourage you to, to, as we pray this together, that you would, in the midst of it, decide, I am Jesus, I'm trusting in you. And maybe there's some aspect of the Lord's prayer that that really hits home and really becomes part of your prayer today. Join me as you will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Go now in the grace and peace of Christ. Amen.